With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Good morning from Coolidge, Arizona. It's August the 19th, 2018, and we are continuing this morning in our classes and our messages concerning the uh, uh, some of the gospel messages and preachers in the book of Acts up to from well from chapter 1 through chapter 14 because we haven't started chapter 15 in our normal class but we're just going over this we're taking a break from David's lessons while he's on vacation and going over these and I've covered uh, a number of things last week um, we uh, surveyed the work of Stephen in his evangelism in Acts uh, chapter 6 and 7, and he was evangelizing, preaching to the Sanhedrin in Jerusalem. And his words, even though they were very true and very powerful, it drove them to cast him out and stone him to death. Um, and he gave them a history lesson of, of how God has seen the history between himself and his covenant people, and they were um, rather desperate. They covered their ears and screamed at the top of their lungs. So Stephen has been martyred, but the word of God was spoken. <coughs> Excuse me. Now, now we find there's a different, a different attitude in Jerusalem. Uh, a great persecution has come upon the city, come upon the church, and uh, all, if not most, of the uh, preachers and those working and a lot of the Christian brethren have departed the city. The, uh, the apostles themselves remain, though, according to Scripture. But now we find in our lesson today, Philip. And Philip was one of the seven men set apart by the apostles. They had laid hands upon Philip as they had Stephen and the other five men, or eight, uh, six men, and imparted the gifts of the Lord that were required for each of them to have. And we know little about any of these men except, of course, for Stephen and Philip. And that's that's the way that acts are. Uh, the acts is some of the acts of some of the apostles and and some of the evangelists. I guess we could say better, but we have a good record of it. Uh, there were seven men that were set apart uh, by the apostles to take care of the affairs of the people at that time. Now those things have come to a completion, and now we find these men leaving the city to go out to preach. And Philip had left the city of Jerusalem. Um, of course, he was fleeing the persecution, but he was heading towards Samaria, not just the country, 
in Samaria, the city. And the, and the men went out to regions all around Jerusalem. Remember, the gospel had remained in Jerusalem until this point, and now the spreading of it was, was occurring. So today, as we start our lesson, I'm going to want you to consider this, um, because this is an issue that is, uh, is real. But we want to know, we need to know by what authority did Philip go out to preach the gospel. Um, and I was reminded as I wrote this that I was once challenged myself at a baptism by what authority that I did such a thing. Um, and I was, I was happy to share with them in a meditation before the baptism why um, the authority was certainly with us to do this. Uh, to bring those uh, that are confessing Christ into the, the body of Christ as prescribed by the, the New Testament. And Philip also had quite authority here. So let's look back just to Acts chapter 1. I'll just turn back. Acts 1, verse 8. Jesus talking to the apostles here. <coughs> And he says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in both Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and the, unto the uttermost parts of the earth. You see, that was the charge given to the apostles. And from them, of course, uh, they sent men out to do the very same thing. And yet they were doing things according to what the apostles spoke and taught, and of course under the authority of the apostles at that time. Then in Acts chapter 6, we need to remember what happened to the seven men and Philip being included here. Uh, Acts 6, um, well, start with verse 5. The, the apostles had had received the men that the congregation brought before them, seven men, and the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procreus, and Nicator, and Timon, and Parmedes, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid hands upon them. And you see, this is the ordination, if you will, um, of these men for the task that they were, they were given. They were ordained by the apostles to do what? Well, we find out immediately that they're ordained to, to feed the elderly, uh, take care of those things that the apostles could not do um, in a way of a temporal, temporal matters. But also they were teaching, they were preaching, and they were probably baptizing, as we find later on. And they did this with the very, uh, very self-same instructions and words of the apostles th themselves. And let me show you, uh, if you want to write this down, this is an important verse that many people are not aware of. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, the apostle Paul talking here, 
to the evangelist Timothy, he says this, Thou therefore, my child, in verse 1, be strengthened in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things with which thou hast heard from me among many witnesses, the same commit to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. You see, the apostle is telling the evangelist, the things that I have said, uh, those are the things that you are to be preaching because that is the gospel of Christ. That is the mind of Christ, the will of Christ for uh, the preaching of the gospel. So, our second point is the fact that Philip was an evangelist, and we're going to turn to uh, chapter 8 in Acts to uh, deal with this issue. I'm going to start uh, reading. I'll, I'll start reading concerning Saul, because after the stoning of Stephen, the way the Bible is laid out, they've included the last sentence in that account concerning this, after Stephen had fallen asleep. And it says, And Saul was consenting unto his death. Now that's the Saul that became the Apostle Paul. And it's good to know that he heard every word that Stephen spoke to the Sanhedrin. Saul was a member of the Sanhedrin, we believe. And he heard these things. Um, and yet, he was motivated to persecute the assembly, the Christians, rather than to join them at this point. And it begins this way, just a reading from um, verses 1 through 4. And there arose on the day, on that day, that is the day of Stephen's martyrdom, a great persecution against the church, which was in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad through the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul laid waste the church, entering into every house and dragging men and women and committing them to prison. And therefore, that they uh, that were scattered abroad went about preaching the word. You see, the men were scattered because of this persecution and went out preaching the word all around Jerusalem. But the apostles remained, and that's important to remember. Now, Philip was an evangelist, but it seems that this is the point in the narrative here concerning Acts and the birth of the church that God used to spread the gospel beyond Jerusalem beyond the borders of the city because as the scripture said the gospel and the preaching of the gospel must begin in Jerusalem and so it did but as they moved into Judea the regions around Jerusalem and Samaria the children of Israel were were to be found everywhere they were they lived in nearly every place in the known world at that time and the message must reach them but the apostles remained in Jerusalem as an anchor and a base for the brethren in Christ for a time but even they would begin to move across the face of the uh, known as the known world or the inhabited world in the Greek 
as time marched on to the point of there came a time when the Apostle Paul, writing a letter to the church in Colossae, says, and this is some 30 years later than the account that we're reading today. Some 30 years later, he said the gospel had been preached in the whole inhabited world. Colossians 1, 5 and 6. And there's another verse in Colossians 1, 2, uh, which is around verse 23, I believe, that says the same thing. And that's another important fact, to know that the gospel had been preached uh, in the inhabited earth by the year 61-62 A.D. The spreading of the gospel, the power and the way of salvation was on the move. That's evident at this point. Our third point here in our outline that I think you probably received was the fact that the city of Samaria received the gospel message from Philip. And they were aware that Philip had come from Jerusalem. As a matter of fact, all of the when, uh, men out preaching the gospel in those days would have reported that the gospel had been preached in, in Jerusalem and they had departed there and they would have reported what was going on in Jerusalem concerning the church and concerning the opposition to the Lord. Uh, but yet the great successes because there were thousands and thousands that came to Christ in those early days in Jerusalem. Now in the text that we are about to read, we're going to find that within it we can, we can acquire, if we are willing to, a real understanding as to how things were truly done, the true pattern of preaching the gospel in the very first years of the Lord's church uh, that was in the ancient world as we would look at it today. We're going to see the order, the way. We're not going to hear the actual words said uh, because we know what those words were. We heard Peter speak uh, in chapter 2, the gospel to the Jews. And, and, and we've heard uh, Stephen recount uh, the very same things concerning Jesus of Nazareth as him being the anointed one. So in chapter uh, 8 of Acts, we'll continue on <coughs> with verse 5 through 8. And we'll see what's happening in the city of Samaria, which at one time was, was the actual capital of Samaria uh, before it was taken away. But Philip went down to the city of Samaria. It always says down because the elevation is much lower and proclaimed unto them the Christ. And the multitudes gave heed with one accord unto these things that were spoken by Philip. And when they heard it and saw the signs which he did, for from many of those that had unclean spirits, they came out crying with a loud voice, and many that were palsied, and that were lame, were healed. And there was much joy in that city. I just love how that account ends there. Much joy in that city. 
Philip had went to Samaria. And he's preaching the gospel of Christ. And that's the proof that Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah promised by God unto the Jews. And remember, the Samaritans were the also the remnant of the, of the Jews from the ten northern tribes. They had intermarried and things of this sort, but they held to a faith of a sort, and they were awaiting the Messiah too. So Philip pro proclaimed the Christ to them. And their hope that they had been talking about uh, concerning the Messiah that they knew very little of, but they knew that it would come and he would come from Jerusalem. So Philip was bringing the word to them. And Philip was speaking. It was Philip doing the preaching. And they all responded, it says all, with one accord. You know what one accord means? Unanimously unanimously that's quite uh, that's quite an accomplishment there the message remember what it says in Romans 1.16 the power of the gospel the power of the gospel these are the words of God and they move the hearts of men and then after all of this time and, and this is not just a few minutes this, this takes quite a while to do all of these things many days I imagine but the conclusion is that in the city of Samaria there was much joy and you know I think it had been a long long time before there had been much joy in the city of Samaria or in the region that it was in consider those things because now the Samaritans had received the word of God. So let's see what happens. Acts chapter 8. We're going to start again in verse 9 through 13. We have another, uh, another character coming upon the scene here that we can learn from. But there was a certain man, Simon by name, which is a Jewish name, who before time in the city used sorcery and amazed the people of Samaria, giving out that himself was some great one. So he was trying to convince them that he was a great, a great power from God, to whom they all gave heed. You see, now we have the issue of all of them giving heed. Just as they responded to Philip, they also responded to Simon at an, in an earlier time. They all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is that power of God which is called great. Well, friends, they were hoping he was. But now they were going to experience the, the genuine article. And they gave heed to him because that of a long time he had amazed them with his sorceries. But, now there's the word we're looking for, but when they, that is all of them in Samaria, the city, believed Philip and his preaching the good tidings concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. 
And Simon, the sorcerer, also himself believed. Now that's quite a statement. He put aside these things. And he believed the message of Philip concerning the Messiah. And being baptized, he continued with Philip and beholding signs and great miracles wrought, he was amazed. Now that, that verse 13 says an awful lot about Simon himself believing. He was baptized. He was added to the number. And then he continued with Philip. I imagine he stayed as close to Philip as he could. Just learning and listening and watching partaking in what was happening. And he beheld those signs and the great miracles wrought through Philip by the Lord from heaven. And he was amazed. Well, you know, sorcery, according to the scriptures, uh, uh, the Old Testament, the Jews understood, everyone understood actually, that it was called an abomination to God. Any sort of sorcery was an abomination. We still have sorcery practiced today, every day, in many, many places. And it is still an abomination to God. It will not ever stop being such. And there is some power involved, or at least there was much more power in these days involved because of the presence of Satan and all that was being done in the way of uh, uh, people being uh, invaded by evil spirits and that sort. But this, was, this sorcery was right in the midst of those in Samaria. But still, you see, they had, it says they all had great respect for the powers of Simon, and they thought maybe they were from God, these powers. And I think he didn't try to change their mind about the source of his power. I'm not sure that he knew one thing from another, uh, but nonetheless, we, we don't want to go beyond what Scripture says concerning him. But now, but now they had been exposed to the true word of God, a message from heaven, the sublime words of Philip that held the power of the gospel, and they had heard these things through Philip. They had seen the great wonders that were performed um, by Philip, uh, through Philip, by the Lord himself, by the power of God. And they were amazed at these things. Now, Philip's message, his message was, was about Christ, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth and all that occurred to bring salvation unto the Jews. For reconciliation, you see, to the Samaritans, they needed to be reconciled back to God. And they could do so through the gospel, through God's terms of pardon. Terms of pardon are those things necessary for men and women to become Christians, to hear the message, to believe the message, to repent of their former way of life, to, uh, to speak with one's mouth that Jesus is the Christ, the 
Son of God and to be baptized into Christ himself. You see, those are the terms of pardon that God has established in the days of the apostles. But beyond that, his message was confirmed by the miracles wrought, those things that he did and everyone saw. And to them, this was the confirmation that Philip was had been sent by God to preach the good news and to do these things that brought much joy to the city of Samaria. Much joy. And um, if you can visualize that, I, I think that's what you need to do. You need to think how important this was to those people. They had now hope again. Um, God had divorced according to the Jewish law, the ten nations that had departed from the worship of God. He had divorced them and they had been taken away by the Assyrians to be put into slavery in the northern regions. But now these, this remnant that was here uh, many years later, nearly 800 years later, was hearing the good news. And so powerful was that message that Philip preached that even Simon, who you would think would be beyond hope, no, we shouldn't think that. Simon believed also the message and the words of Philip, the evangelist. And he was also baptized with the others into Christ, bringing him the promise of sonship to be joint heirs with Christ in the inheritance of God. That was the condition of the people when they were baptized into Christ from that city in Samaria. So if you've got that, we'll, we'll continue reading because now we get more into uh, an issue, an element that has been debated for years and years about what it means, what it says. <coughs> It's very, very, it's very simple. Unfortunately, our English Bibles uh, do um, water things down just enough that it's hard for us to separate things from time to time. But in verses 14 through 17, let's, let's read them now. By the way, I'm reading from the American Standard Version, which is pretty good. Um, it's, it's not the perfect grammar of in the vernacular of our day, but I think the message gets through. Now, when the apostles that were in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, <coughs> they sent unto them Peter and John. Well, I wonder how they heard the word. I think, I think Philip probably sent somebody to go back to Jerusalem and tell the apostles that that they had received the Lord in Samaria, that they had been obedient to the gospel. And because of that, Peter and John um, came to the city. Who then, in verse 15, who, when they were come down, did what? Well, they prayed for them, that is the assembly, that they might receive the, the Holy Spirit. Now, that word 
wording there is a little off. It should be spirit, and in, in the ancient versions, the word holy is not even there. But let's move on to verse 16. For as yet it was fallen upon none of them. Now, many of our translations will use a, a pronoun there that has a masculine gender to it. But in fact, the word it being neuter is in fact the Greek word for spirit. All right? For as yet it was fallen upon none of them, only they that had been baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. It says only they had been baptized. In other words, um, what was what they were waiting for was to be was to come upon those that had been baptized. Only the baptism into Christ had occurred at this point in Samaria. Then, in verse 17, laid they their hands on them. The apostles laid hands on them. Them, not doesn't say all of them. Uh, we can assume that they laid their hands on them that the Lord had instructed them to lay their hands upon. Why? to receive those things necessary. And they received the Holy Spirit or the, the uh, in this case, the, uh, uh, the spiritual uh, gifts. Verse 18. Um, no, we'll, we'll, we'll stop there at verse 17 because when we go through the, this, uh, it, it changes a little. In verse 17, let's look at it again. Then laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Okay, well, this is a, a difficult passage, I, I will say. Now, what happened here? Peter and John, the apostles, went down to Samaria. What did they do when they got there? Well, besides greeting them and being joyful with them, they there came a time when they prayed for them. In other words, they were praying for them um, to God. And this, of course, would, would be a moment that they're hearing the words of the apostles and they're learning. The next thing that happened is they laid hands on them. And as I said before, doesn't say it doesn't use the word all there. But as far as laying hands on people, uh, it is always those that are set apart to have hands laid upon them, as it was in chapter 6, as it is here, as it is in every case. They, the apostles laid hands on those that the Lord had set apart, those that, that needed to have the spiritual, the spiritual gifts needed for the assembly. You see, they were up there by themselves. And they would soon be without the apostles or without Philip. They needed these men to be gifted to strengthen the uh, assembly by the word of God uh, and to be present with them every day. This was important. And that was the, ne that was the necessity for spiritual gifts, brethren. And friends, uh, the church needed them then because they were far apart from the truth and from 
and the information that they needed. Now, as I recall, and don't forget that, in verse 15, when it comes to the, the idea, or verse 16, rather, uh, the word it is used instead of the, the pronoun that we find in many uh, different uh, versions, he, uh, as a masculine, because it is not masculine, it is neuter, and it, it is speaking about the spirit, the power from, the power of God from heaven. And here we find the it, as I have talked and as I have spoken many times in the last few weeks. A better translation of, of the phrase Holy Spirit or Holy Ghost uh, is this. Because this is a, the true definition of the word spirit and where it's from. It is the breath effect of God, the breath effect, the movement of God's spirit to set apart for certain things. That's what this is, the breath effect of God. But that had not fallen upon any as yet. Now, this is the same terminology as we find on the day of Pentecost, when the, the, where Jesus had told the apostles to wait in Jerusalem until the power of God comes upon them. And in our, the text here, it says, fall on them. Fall on them. Falling was the word used here, of course, um, in the past tense. So, and we also find the same issue happening in Acts chapter 10 and 11, uh, ahead of uh, or behind what we're reading here much later, um, about t uh, seven or eight years later, actually, about, um, about the, the fact that the Spirit fell again upon certain of them in, in the house of Cornelius, and they spoke in tongues. And that was a witness unto the Jews there that, that God had certainly granted salvation unto the Gentiles. You see, this is what God is using. So it's a very difficult and it has to be understood uh, according to the entire scripture rather than just a few verses in one chapter. If you just take it there, you're going to miss the point and you will not be uh, well informed by the whole counsel of God. So, um, this is not an issue. This spirit coming upon them, falling on them, is, is not a part of sal the salvation experience, you see. It's not what, is, what it is that saves people, even though some would argue that it is. Well, it's not. These people are already within the body of Christ. You see, their, their baptism into Christ uh, had already occurred. And now they were receiving, certain of them were receiving certain gifts that the Lord required to have in that assembly in, in the city of Samaria. And those people are not named. The number is not named. We don't know any of those things, and we shouldn't um, suppose that we do. But much confusion in my lifetime has certainly come from this account. But it's mostly because people are not aware of what is being, uh, of what being in Christ really, really means. And once you understand that in its entirety, you can see uh, this.
this much clearer. Now certainly, even Simon was confused, and he made a great error in judgment concerning what he saw the apostles doing. You see, I'm saying we're confused today, but even then, they didn't have an understanding of exactly all that was happening. And cer certainly it wasn't, it wasn't Simon. Um, uh, Simon was very confused. Apparently also he was not one that had hands laid upon him. Um, I, I believe that is, by the grammar, I think we can see that. So uh, he made a big mistake, and this is just another issue. It isn't something we see uh, every day today, but I think we can understand why Simon uh, was so interested in what the apostles were doing. He wanted to be part of this. He wanted to have all the power that he could possibly have, even though uh, this sort of thinking probably was not the direction he should have been going. But in, in we'll continue on in our reading here. Chapter 8, verse 18 through 25. And we're going to hear it. We have uh, enough time here to complete this. Now, when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Spirit was given, or in, in, in the truth of the matter, the spiritual gifts were imparted, he offered them money, saying, give also this, give me also this power, that on whomsoever I lay my hands, he may receive the Holy Spirit, or the gifts imparted. But Peter said unto him, Thy silver perish with thee, because thou hast thought to obtain the gift of God with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for thy heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness, and pray the Lord, if perhaps the thought of thy heart shall be forgiven. For I see that thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. Now that was Peter's statement to Simon. And then in verse 24, Simon answers and says, Pray you for me to the Lord that none of these things which thou hast spoken come upon me. And in verse 25, they therefore, when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, returned to Jerusalem and preached the gospel to the many villages of the Samaritans that be on the way on the way back. Okay, that's that's the account. Um, also in verse 18. According to uh, what I've read in, in, the, in the Greek, um, in verse 18, we have the omission of the word holy again in many of the ancient manuscripts, um, which would be proper as we think about the idea of the breath effect or the spiritual gifts that is really being spoken about here and not, um, and not the 
idea of the, the Holy Spirit himself in a, in a personal being. Uh, it's it. It's the Spirit of God, the power of God, the, the breath effect. And now in verse 20, Peter makes clear these things from God cannot be bought with money. And he goes on to describe to Simon his condition, the condition that he perceives that Simon is in. I guess as a way to warn him, to, to tell him that this needs to be taken care of um, and to make sure that Simon understands that what the apostles are doing is, is an issue that the apostles themselves uh, are set apart to do and no one else and it cannot be bought with money. And, and Peter said that he should repent of these wicked thoughts. Now, I think Simon probably uh, certainly was in a repentful uh, mode at this time, for he asked the he asked for prayer on his behalf of the apostles Peter and John. And I also read that. This is where we get the terminology that you can find in the dictionary that is, uh, is called simony. Simony. And that's a word used in theological corners or uh, ecclesiastical places uh, that mean trying to buy the goodwill of God. Certainly, after the, the day of Simon making this statement, it certainly has happened again. Uh, there has been many tried to do just that, uh, maybe in a more subtle way, uh, uh, trying to buy themselves one thing or another. We hear in the days of Martin Luther, those individuals buying them high positions of authority within the Roman church, and by the way, those positions of authority do not exist in the Bible, nor they do they exist in the church of the Lord, but nonetheless they were trying to purchase them for their own, for their own use, of course. So we find this idea of simony to be something that uh, came about after this. And I just hope that Simon indeed um, rid himself of this. Uh, also, I read, and, and you may, may have read or even know of, uh, of course, Simon is a rather common name uh, in, in that 2,000 years ago in that part of the, the world. But there's a lot of speculation about certain Simon, Simon that did this and Simon that did that. There was even a, a Simon who was one of the renegades in Jerusalem in 66 AD, um, uh, and a Simon that, that had become apostate. But we don't know that this is the same Simon, and we shouldn't speculate on it, uh, even though much has been said about it. From what we know, he asked for prayer, and he certainly seemed to be repenting of this at that time. But I think as we reread verse 25, this morning in way of conclusion. They, therefore, that is the apostles, 
when they had testified, in other words, the apostles spoke all that, that they, they needed to say in Samaria. They had spoken the word of the Lord. They returned to Jerusalem. So we know exactly what they did. From Samaria, they went back towards the south uh, to Jerusalem. But along the way, they preached the gospel, the good news, to many villages of the Samaritans. Uh, I think that's important. Um, many villages. Um, in other words, the gospel was alive and well in the area that was known as Samaria. It was, very, it was adjacent to Galilee and, of course, very adjacent to Judea. It was right found right in the middle there. <coughs> so this is the end of the account of Philip in Samaria. But right in verse 26, we have Philip going to another place. We have another account of Philip coming up. If we continue this next week, we will uh, get into this also and deal with it as we have done this one today. And I hope that what has been said is clear enough uh, and descriptive enough to realize what actually happened and give you a lot of foundation and uh, points of uh, debate, even, if you will, to those that misread this scripture constantly. So with that, I will uh, say goodbye, and I'd like you to uh, uh, join me in prayer at this time. Our Father, as we have delivered these words from your word, we pray that once again as we look at your servant Philip and what he did, that we are, that we are lifted up in spirit and strengthened by the work of those bringing the gospel message and the strength of the assemblies wherever they may be. And we pray, Father, that your, your people everywhere will say amen to the work of these men. And we pray it all in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group. No purchase necessary. Avoid where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.